Well, good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we have people coming up the aisles right now who have a Bible that we'd love to get into your hands. If you forgot your Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, please grab one of these, turn to Acts chapter two. If you don't own a Bible, for sure, take one of these as our gift to you and turn to Acts chapter two. We're gonna follow along starting in verse 42. It was in, uh, as you're turning there, it was in 2009 that Burger King ran this ad campaign I think it was only in the States because I didn't hear about it. I'm not on Facebook. Maybe that's why. But they, they had this, if, if you unfriend 10 of your friends on Facebook, they'll send you a coupon for a, a free Whopper. Okay, he, here's the mindset behind the campaign. When you unfriend these friends of yours, they get a, a notice that says, hey, you've been unfriended because this person wants a Whopper and you're supposed to go, wow, that must be a pretty incredible burger that you would actually torch our friendship for that, right? Well, here's what happened. The New York Times reported the stunt worked too well. Within the first week, one week, 200 and th- over 230,000 people were unfriended. But think about that. In one week, they had to give away 23,000 Whoppers. They had to stop the ad campaign after a week. I, my guess is because they're going to go bankrupt, giving away so many Whoppers. So, so my question this morning, how valuable are your friendships? Are there people you would say, yeah, I could give them up for a Whopper? Okay, maybe not a Whopper, but a teen burger for sure, all right? Bacon's on that, so friends are gone, right? How important are your friends? You know, I kind of think that this, this, even this word friend, the, the word's kind of been skewed by our culture a little bit, by our, especially by our, our social media culture. Facebook defines friends. You've got hundreds and thousands maybe of friends on Facebook that, that really wouldn't fit the definition of a friend. I mean, what is a true friend? What, what does community look like? What's it look like to be involved in relationships in a community where you're loved and where you love others? As a a follower of Jesus Christ, what have we been called to? What what does a community look, what does church look like? What does it look like for someone who says, hey, I'm a Christ follower? We've been talking through this whole idea of of really specifically when the the rubber meets the road, what's it look like for us to be Christ followers? We we talked about the fact that it starts with worship. It's got to start with Christ. It's got to start with Jesus because that's who we're following. It's our heart and our lives given over to say, my life is all about Jesus now. It used to be about these other things, but, but they don't take the treasure in my heart anymore, not like Christ does. So I'm going to daily spend time with, with, with him in the word and in prayer. I'm going to weekly commit to this. I mean, church isn't kind of just an option. No, I want to gather together with others to lift high the name of Jesus in worship because I treasure him above everything else. Now, what you see then as a Christ follower, when, the, when that's your foundation, I'm going to worship Christ, treasure him above everything else, what overflows out of that is what we're calling community. That as a Christ follower, that you see in Scripture that God's designed you, created you to need other people and to experience this new life you have as a Christ follower, as one who worships Jesus, you experience this life together. In fact, I would say it this boldly, that you can't know God 
outside of community, apart from community, being isolated completely from community. Are there times when we want to get into, we want to spend time in solitude? For sure there is, but a life that's totally isolated, saying, I'm doing this on my own. You don't find that in Scripture. Nowhere do you see in Scripture where God calls us to be lone rangers. Jesus calls his first followers into what? Into a community. He says, hey, follow me in this community. Come together. Let's do meals together. Let's do life together. Jesus' prayer that we saw last week, his prayer was that we would be united, that we would experience the fullness that that Jesus experienced with the Father, that we would have that, united with God vertically and united with each other horizontally. Why? Because we were created for community. I mean, right away in, in Genesis, Adam's created, and what's God say? He says, man, it's not good that he's alone. What do you mean it's not good? He created Adam. Sin hadn't come into the world yet. Adam was living in this perfect relationship with God, the creator, and yet God still says, man, it's not finished yet. We're created for community. I would say this, too, one of the greatest byproducts, outflowing of a a life that's been radically changed by Jesus Christ, a a life that's pursuing Jesus as your ultimate treasure, a a life that's, that's grasped the gospel, Filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the greatest byproducts of that is an uncommon community created. Now, I say uncommon community because it's, it's different. It's, it's this gospel-centered, life-changing, God-glorifying, world-looking-in-in-awe, saying, I can't figure this thing out kind of community. It's what Jesus prayed for. It's what Jesus died for. That we could be in community with God and with each other. And so if you're a Christ follower, if you say, man, I'm following Jesus, and you've given your life to him, and Christ has given you a new life, you're, you're brought back into community with God. That, that relationship that Adam had before the fall, the relationship that Moses cried out for, and he said, God, show me your glory. You now have this if you're a Christ follower. You have that relationship. We're going to see this morning when the early church first started, what outflowed from that immediately was this action of community. In fact, look at verse 42. Here's what it looked like lived out. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Right right away, you you see that that word there in verse 42. It says they were devoted. They devoted themselves. I mean, that's a great word, this this idea of of devoted. The the church was devoted. Harvest, we are called to be devoted to some things. We say a a Christ follower worships and, and is involved in community, is on mission. I'm saying this, put the word devoted in front of those. It's not just, well, those are cute things we kind of do as a church. No, we want to be devoted to worship. We want to be devoted to community. We want to be devoted to mission. So this morning as we jump in, here's our first point this morning. We are devoted to community. We're devoted to it. I love that word. The word there, it actually has this idea. It's not a one-time thing like, yeah, I've joined the community. No, it's this ongoing, intense effort. If, if you were to say to me, hey, Kai, do you jog? 
I'd say, sure, I jog. If you chase me, I'll jog, right? Like, I would never say that I'm devoted to running. Do I run? Sometimes I do. But, I mean, if it's too cold out, I'm not going. If it's raining out, I'm not running. If there's some clouds rolling in, I'm not running, right? If I'm tired, I'm not. And there are times, listen, you can ask my wife. There are times where I get all fired up. About, I'm getting in shape. I'm doing this. I'm going to be devoted to this jogging thing, this running thing. And for like a week, I'll do it. That's not devotion, I fade. I'm not devoted to it. Listen, these people, this church in the book of Acts, they weren't just checking out church, and if church didn't meet their needs, they're out. They're going to go try something else. They weren't coming in as consumers looking to get something out of the group. They were coming in as participants looking to give something, saying, I'm a part of this. I'm devoted to this. I'm devoted to these people. I mean, it's so rare in our culture for people to be devoted to each other in this way. It's much more common for us to live in isolation, to be individuals. But listen, to, to be in it for the long haul, like, like if things get busy, if things get complicated, if, if, if things get painful, if things get hard, most people say, you know what, I'm done, I'm throwing in the towel, I'm out, I'm gonna do my own thing, I'm finding another place, another group, another way of doing it, and we pull back and we isolate. I mean, isn't it weird in this, this age where we can have constant connection, people actually feel less connected to people? And we read here in the book of Acts this, this uncommon community of love and care and we read about, we read those verses and we think there's no way this could ever happen. This is impossible to create. It sounds nice, but it certainly doesn't sound doable. Listen, in good or bad, this group of people were devoted. You have to understand something. It wasn't a perfect community. They were simply a devoted community. I mean, they had plenty of conflict. They had lots of hurt feelings. You, you can read further in the book of Acts. You come to Acts in chapter six and, and you find that there was these widows that were being neglected. They weren't being taken care of. They were being missed in the community. You see the early church read through the New Testament. You see them struggling with sin, with gossip, with family strife, with, with horrible things going on in the church. They weren't a perfect church. But here, what do we read? They were devoted that's an uncommon community. Listen, one day we will have a perfect church community. Right? It's in heaven, right? It's never gonna be here. But in heaven, when sin is gone, when pain and strife are gone, when weakness is gone, when all the issues are gone, man, we'll be in heaven in a perfect community. But listen, here in our church, you will get hurt. I mean, things will be difficult. We will fail as a church. If you're in a small group, your small group, your small group leader will let you down. I will make mistakes as your pastor. But scripture says this, that we're family, and family doesn't bail on family. When, when things get hard, the gospel compels us to do what? To press in, to forgive, to be the body. That even amongst the imperfections that are represented here in this room, we want to strive and be devoted to an uncommon community through the hurts, through the pains. I mean, you think about how the early church got started, you get a bit of an idea. Man, how do we do this? How do we come to this place of uncommon community, of being devoted to each other? Well, well in chapter 2, early on, you, you read that Peter preaches this sermon. 
He gets up and preaches this simple gospel sermon saying, hey, hey, you're sinners, you're broken, you're in need of a savior. And 3,000 people believed. Before this, before Peter preaches this sermon, the church was about 120 people. That's it. Right? Not, not a church of 120 people in a community with other churches. No, that was it. That was the church. 120 people. Peter preaches, and bam, you've got a church of 3,000 people. We read further on in, in chapter 3 and chapter 2. You start reading more, and you see that 2,000 more people quickly added to the church. I mean, that was a big church. I'll tell you what they weren't saying, though. They weren't gathered around. and Was anybody walking around going, hmm, I don't know. I miss the days where we're just 120 people all huddled. That was community. We had something at 120. I think, no, 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 they're not saying that because even as a group of now 3,000 people, this is what we're reading here in verses 42 to 47, God was doing something so amazing that even as that huge group, they're grabbing a hold of each other. As this mega church, they're still devoted to each other. And that growth didn't end there. We read in the New Testament and in, in history that, that the New Testament church swept through the entire Roman Empire. You're thinking, why? Why such power? Why such growth? Because it was a God thing, not a human thing. They were making up programs and going, well, here's how we're going to do this. God was in their midst. I mean, I'm telling you, Peter's sermon was a good sermon, right? But it wasn't the most eloquent and the, and the most moving sermon ever, but there was a spiritual power in the message, so much so that when Peter's done preaching, the people say in chapter 2, verse 37, it says they were cut to the heart, there's this new life that exploded from this message that Peter preached where Peter said, you are so broken and so separated from God in your sin that Jesus had to die in your place. And they're cut to the heart. Man, man, my sin, my brokenness is that bad? And then, then Peter gives the other side of the gospel, the, the good news of the gospel that, that Jesus died. Why? Because he loved you so much that he wanted to create a way and make a way for you to be in relationship with God. I mean, Jesus' death shows us how busted up we are, that he would need to die, and it shows us how loved we are, that he would choose to die, and then Jesus dies to bring us this new life, and these people here, they're like, we want this new life. And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Repent, turn your, your heart and your life. Worship Jesus, that's what he's saying. Take your affections off of everything else and turn and put them on Jesus Christ. Stop pursuing everything else for hope and now turn and say, God, I need to repent. I've broken your holy law, but now I wanna pursue you and I want you to be king over my life. My hope is this, my hope is that you've had this similar experience. Maybe it wasn't after a sermon. Maybe, maybe it was a time you were with somebody. Maybe it was a time on your own as you were reading the word. Maybe you were hearing something or, or whatever, but there was this moment where you, you came to grips with the sin of your heart and your life, and, and you couldn't just pass it by. You came to grips with the gospel that says that Christ died in your place, and you repented. You said, I'm pursuing Jesus now. I've been changed. I've been transformed. I'm now a new person. And you trusted in him for the first time. It says that they were saved and then they were baptized. This, this outward action, this, this thing that just overflows into this, this action that Christ calls us to as followers of his is, hey, be saved and be baptized. So Peter's just carrying on the mission that Christ left him. And these guys, every one of them saying, man, read through the book of Acts over and over again, saved and baptized. 
If you're here this morning and you say, I'm a Christ follower, but I've just never been baptized, there's no such thing as a Christ follower in the New Testament who has not been baptized. You don't find it anywhere. Maybe you're here this morning going, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know if I, I know there's a, a baptism coming up soon, but I, I don't think I'm ready. I'm not good enough. To, it's not about being good enough. Baptism's the picture of the gospel. You're not good enough. None of us are. But Christ steps into your place and now redeems you. And, and baptism is this way of saying, listen, I've died to my old self. I've been raised again to a new life, so now I am. I'm a beloved child of God. That's what baptism is. And maybe you're like, well, okay, it's not that I'm not good enough. I just haven't found a church good enough. You never will, all right? There you go. You never will. Well, I don't know if I want to be baptized in this church because I don't know if I want to be. Listen, you're not going to. Just follow Christ. When he calls you to be baptized, just do it. Just, just make that step of obedience because what happens? You've got these people, this new life, new life, new hearts, 3,000 people. And the result that happens here, what is it? You read these verses and what do you see? Well, they started going to church maybe two times a month. They uh, sometimes picked up their Bible. They dressed a little nicer. No, that's not what happened. They were completely transformed. There was this monumental shift. Their lives changed. Now, following Jesus produces this whole new community. Look what it says in verse 44. All who believed, right? these hearts changed. New life explodes in them. They were together and all things in common. I love that. It says they were together. And we know that they met together. It says they attended the temple. They, they were in each other's homes. But I love that it says they were together. I mean, constantly, relentlessly. I mean, it says every day they were doing this, continuously together. Their, their lives overlapped. They, they ate meals together. They, they had people into their homes who they didn't even know. Like, hey, man, you're a stranger, but you know Jesus? Come into my life. Come into my home. They were being vulnerable about, about their needs and, and they were being generous with what they had. They, they formed these, these intentional, intensive, gospel-centered, life-changing, God-glorifying, world-looking-in-and-awe kind of communities. When you think about what that looked like, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says that, that, that Greeks and Jews were coming together, that slaves and the free were coming together. Listen, this is an uncommon community. It's not based on our similarities that's a pretty common community. Hey, I want everybody my age to hang out with. I want people with the same hobbies. I want people who look like me. I want, I want people who act like me. That wasn't what was going on here. Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. I mean, that was crazy in the first century. The Jews hated the Greeks. I mean, there wasn't just racial tension. It was this deep-seated hatred and the slaves and the free coming together to worship. That didn't happen anywhere else in the first century outside of the church. There was this crazy thing they had going on here, the, the world looking in. It says here in Acts that they were in awe. Awe came upon every soul, verse 43 says. They're dumbfounded as they see this thing happening. So here we are today at Harvest. Well, what are we trying to do here as a church? We want to be a church that, that's passionate about worship and that's passionate about community, about connecting together, about, about connecting in these authentic groups, small groups, we call them, all over Muskoka and Perry Sound. 
Listen, we're not doing that because, well, that's the, the model you choose. That's kind of the, the thing you do. It's, no, it's not, a, it's not a method or a model. It's this outflowing of lives changed by the gospel and filled with the Spirit. Because listen, listen, hundreds of years from now, when nobody even remembers what harvest was, when no one remembers any of our names, there will still be faithful followers of Jesus Christ gathering together in uncommon communities devoted to Jesus and devoted to each other. All right, where's the start then? If we're gonna be devoted to community, where's it begin? Here's our second point. We're first devoted vertically. We're first devoted vertically. It begins with Jesus. It's why we start with worship before we move to community. If we, if we strive for the horizontal without being here vertically, we miss out on what God has for us in community. But if we seek him first, we seek, I want my relationship with Christ to be my first priority. I want, I want to seek vertically my identity. I want to seek vertically my purpose. I want to seek vertically my hope, my life. When you do that, when we're seeking that, the horizontal will be this outflow. You see here, they, they start vertically. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What's that? They're devoting themselves to the word of God. I mean, God's word is at the, the center of an uncommon community. It's, it's one of the pillars of our church that we preach the word of God without apology. We're pretty passionate about teaching God's word. Or if you've noticed, I start off every sermon the exact same way. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles? I mean, most people have it memorized now that if you don't have a Bible, there'll be people here. If you don't own a Bible, take it home, right? Why do I do that? Because we're, we want to be all about God's word. In our small groups, we want to dig into God's word, to be centered around God's word. As followers of Christ, we should consider it a wasted day when we don't dig into God's word. I mean, this is what I love about small groups. It's where you can dig in even deeper beyond the Sunday morning like we're doing here, but you, you can move from just information about the Bible and move into the transformation from God's word where you're not just growing a fatter head full of doctrine, but that doctrine's now being pressed into your life to grow us, to change us. Because it's not just a textbook Hebrews says it's a sword, a sharp sword that can pierce right to our hearts to, to see, to expose, to show us what our motives are. We open up God's word. It's this pursuit of Jesus. What we're really saying is I, I want to hear Christ speak. Where does he speak? He speaks here. Jesus, I need to hear you today. If, if we skip the word and say, I don't really need the word, what we're saying is this. We're saying, Jesus, come into my life but have a seat. Like, like Jesus, I'm, I'm glad you're a part of my life, but seriously, just keep quiet. Just shush, all right? If, if I need your opinion, I might ask you. If I, if I need some information, I might go to you. In fact, here, you know what? I'll let you speak maybe once a week on Sunday. You can talk, but other than that, just be quiet. Listen, a, a Christ follower is devoted to God's word. This isn't legalism. This isn't like, hey, get the checkbox that you've read God's word today. No, it's your heart that wants to hear more from the Lord. Like, you'll wake up early because, man, I, I don't want to miss what God has for me today from his word. You'll, you'll make sure your schedule is adjusted so, man, I don't ever want to miss getting together in my small group as we unpack the word together. If you're looking to experience that this life of connection with Jesus, this life of, of following after him, there's no hope outside of God's word. 
Just like you can't live a healthy life without food coming in physically. Right? You can't say, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to super gorge myself on Sunday morning. Am I going to eat the biggest breakfast ever? That should carry me for the week, and I'll be No, it doesn't work, right? You starve physically. It's the same thing spiritually. If you don't spend time in the Word, you begin to spiritually starve. They were committed. They were devoted to the Word. It says they were devoted to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Notice it says the breaking of bread. It says later on that they, they broke bread in their homes. That's having meals together here because it's the breaking of bread. It's another way of saying they got together for the Lord's Supper, for communion. It's at that, that time where they would remember the cross together. Are you seeing them pursue the vertical first? It's that time where we get together, all of us, and remember the cross. What's that do for us as a community? Listen, it levels the ground. When you come together to the cross, those who are proud, those who are knocking out of the park, man, you get brought low at the cross, don't you? You realize it's all Jesus. Those who are hurting and broken, you come to the cross, you get lifted up at the cross. You see the love poured out, so the ground becomes level. We, we come together. We might be at different places in our walk with Christ, but at the cross, we're all the same. We come to the cross as sinners transformed into saints by God's grace. So the cross, and we come together, and it's this, this, this unity and this celebration that happens in a time of communion, the Lord's Supper. Now, I kind of think of it this way. I think of it like being at a sporting event. You ever been at a sporting event where it's like a really important game, and you could be sitting next to a stranger, but when your team scores, what are you doing? You're hugging a complete stranger, Right? You are high-fiving everybody around you. You are celebrating what happened, right? You're not trying to be cool. You're not holding back for fear and restraint. Your face is painted the color of your team. You have lost cool a long time ago, right? So you are like super excited, high-fiving, and you're just excited and being bonded together. Listen, when we remember the cross, we are remembering the ultimate victory. Death was defeated. Sin dealt with. I mean, your greatest problem, sin separating you from a holy God, was taken care of. This should cause us to celebrate. This is why the Lord's Supper is a time we come together, and it's like, I can't believe what we have together in Christ. Listen, is it a solemn time? Sure, we're remembering the cost. But it's also a time of celebration. We start here, we start vertically, we, we see the cross, we're transformed together, and when we do that, it, it unites us. Listen, you may be doing better uh, of, of taking care of yourself and walking out this, this Christian life than I am, but at the cross, we come both forgiven. I mean, it's so natural when, when you're in the word and you're at the cross and you're seeing Christ, what's the next thing that comes? They're devoted to prayer. I mean, prayer just comes out naturally. So that when we gather as small groups, it's not a, oh, we better open in prayer. Then when we're done, we better have our quick close in prayer. No, you're like, I can't wait to be in prayer with my brothers and sisters because I'm, I'm, I'm devoted to these people. And we're all looking at the cross together. And when we do that, our prayer becomes so much deeper together. Masks can be dropped off. Prayer can move beyond the surface Listen, I think it's fine to get into a group and pray about your grandma's bunions. That's okay, all right? But there should be something deeper going on when someone says, do you have a prayer request? If you're all at the cross together, man, the prayer requests become deeper, don't they? 
here's what's going on in my heart. I love seeing this in our small groups. Right, people talking about real heart needs, people walking alongside each other in deep prayer, people firing off texts in the mid, midst of temptation. I love getting those texts. Pray for me, brother. Stuff's hard right now. Right? I like that so much better than, hey, let's wait a week and tell you when I fell in sin. No, no, no. Accountability is no. I want to walk in obedience. So when the temptation's there, I need people around me that I can text and call and say, pray with me right now. Praying about real heart struggles. I mean, our, our hope in our small groups is to move beyond the superficial, the fake, nothing talked about, to move deeper into this, this transparent, vulnerable relationships where sin can be exposed. I'm telling you, nothing lights up a group of people like honesty. I'll be honest here, though, this kind of vulnerability makes for a very messy church. Church would be so much easier if we just kept everything surface. Right, just come on Sunday, just smile real nice, and let's leave. Right, be a lot easier to do church, but I'm telling you, there's no life in it. That's not the gospel. If we're transformed by Jesus, there's this uncommon community that's naturally created by the gospel where, where sin is confessed, where, where accountability is created. So my question this morning for you, this morning is this, are there people in your life right now that you could say, I'm accountable to them? Are there people who speak into your life? Are there people who ask you hard questions? Or are you isolated? Where you'd say this morning, I don't think I know of anybody who really knows my heart. I'm telling you when, you, when you move into that direction, when you remain isolated, you're, you're not living in the life that Christ called you to. You're in a dangerous place. You're out alone where the enemy can take you out. But listen, when you humble yourself, when you seek out this, when you say, here's my heart, and you expose your heart to people who love you, listen, you're changed, and our whole church is changed by this. The church here was so genuine inside and out, there was this awe. People weren't in awe because they had a great building. People weren't in awe because they had a, a sweet light show during their worship set. People weren't in awe because of their programs. People weren't in awe because they had the best website. It was this supernatural character of the church that, that pursued God and was filled with God's manifest presence. I'm telling you, if we want to reach our community, it's not about doing church in a cooler way. It's about living in authentic community and loving each other so the world looks in and goes, I don't know what's going on there, but I need that. I want that. I mean, Jesus says they'll know we are Christians by what? By our love. Jesus says they'll know, God, that the Father sent me when they see the love you have for each other. If we want to light up our world with the gospel, it begins here, moving out of the isolation, moving out of the surface and into deep, authentic, uncommon community. Here's what happens. Here's our last point this morning. When you're devoted to, to pressing into Christ, to sharing together, to praying together, it's gonna lead into this deeper devotion to each other. Here's our last point. The vertical overflows into the horizontal. Look at verse 44. 
all who believe are together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I mean, can, can you just see this thing? It's filling up with the gospel and spilling out everywhere. They couldn't get enough of each other and others are drawn to them. It says they were praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they had all things in common. That, that word there can be translated as fellowship. They had fellowship. Now, if you grew up in church, right, fellowship has a different meaning for you. The meaning for me, because I grew up in church, fellowship means casseroles, Right? Fellowship means those amazing peanut butter squares with the marshmallows in them, aren't those amazing, right? That's fellowship. You get together, you have coffee, you have some food, right? That's not fellowship according to God's word, right? Fellowship's about partnership. It's, it's, it's people on mission together. So, so when you think fellowship, think less about hanging out, drinking coffee. Think more in a trench beside somebody in the middle of a war, I mean, real fellowship is when you're battling for each other's hearts, devoted so much to each other that you're willing to walk alongside each other. And listen, we can't just do that here on Sunday. This church went further. They were meeting day by day. They were meeting in each other's homes. And if we think Sunday is enough, if we think this is all I need, I don't need relationship, listen, you will fade. Maybe you've seen this happen. Maybe you're one of those. You feel yourself beginning to fade. Maybe you have close friends and you're like, man, they used to come all the time. I haven't seen them in so long. And they, they began to fade. Listen, our responsibility as a church is we go after them because we love them. We invite them back in. Hey, man, I love you so much. I've just noticed you haven't been around. Is, is there anything you need? Is there anything I can be helping you out? Is there any way we can enter into your life again? We see that to have this, we need small groups that are more than just coffee and Bible study, but where Acts 2, 42 to 47 is actually happening. Groups of people devoted to each other on mission for the gospel. I mean, verse 45 blows my mind. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. Listen, that's supernatural. I mean, you show me stuff like that happening in a church, and I'll show you a church filled with the Holy Spirit. God has landed in the midst of that church, and God is at work. When people are saying, you know what? I don't need this because somebody else needs more. And they give away their money, and it says with glad hearts. They were happy to do it. Why? Because they found something so much better than money, so much better than stuff. They found joy, more joy in sharing than in possessing. Christ had changed them. And this radical generosity, it's this, it's this amazing indicator that, that God's at work where, where people have such a crazy love for God and a crazy love for each other that the temporal stuff no longer has a grip on them. Comfort and ease don't control these people anymore. Listen, I'm so encouraged because I hear story after story of this happening in our midst of people sacrificing time and money and energy 
Every week I'm hearing another story. I'm hearing stories of, of a young couple over the last little while where, where she's struggling with, with her pregnancy and so she's in the hospital, out of the hospital, in the hospital and the small groups have so loved on them. She's like crying, talking to one of our staff saying, I can't believe how loved we are. I've never been without food or care or people coming alongside me or my family. And you guys just keep pouring it out on me. That's an uncommon community. I'm hearing stories of of. of a young man who's, who's wandering away from the Lord and wandering into sin that a small group knows about. They don't just let it go, man. They pursue him. They're going after him. Hey, what's going on? Let's grab coffee, man. What's happening? Let's get together. Let's walk this out together. And small group leaders walking out things with people that normally would be the job of the pastor. Going, on, man, we don't need the pastor for this. Man, we're doing community together. Let's walk this out. One of the, my favorite stories in here... A couple started coming to our church, and they, they didn't know Jesus yet, but they wanted to get into a small group because here, these are his words. I want to see how these Christians really live it out. I want to see what you guys do with this. And he really said, you keep telling me that Jesus walked on water. I find that hard to believe, so I want to see this lived out. Right, so what did he started coming to a small group. Eventually, they, they start following Jesus, and, and because they're following Jesus, because he's in the word so much, he's like, hey, hey. My wife and I, we've been together for a long time. We've got kids and stuff, but we've never been married. And man, the Bible's pretty clear. We, we gotta get married. He's like, we're living in sin, right? He's fired out. He goes, what do we do? Now, they didn't have any money at all, okay? The family without a lot of resources. So what's the small group do? They threw them a wedding. Like, we'll get a cake. We'll, we'll get everything set up. We'll get a photographer. We'll throw you a reception. We'll get the house to do it in. We'll do this all. Why? Because we wanna celebrate with you because you're a part of our family now. Listen, that all begins when we aren't just devoted to ourselves, we're devoted to each other. I mean, praise God, it's happening. Let's, let's pray for more of that to happen. I mean, I love the phrase. This is the phrase I love for our small groups, right? This is what we're trying to do in our small groups. They are intentionally invasive communities, right? We're gonna intentionally invade each other's lives. We're gonna do life together. It's, it's why we spend so much time on training out people, why we have these courses. You've either been in them or you've heard of them. We have 101 and 201 and Leadership 301 and 501. Why is that? Because we want to raise up the church so that everybody is serving to the level they're trained, and we want to train you further so you can serve even more. We want to increase everybody's involvement in this because here's the thing. We are not a church of professionals. We're moving away as best we can, moving away from the, hey, call the pastor. I say it so much, but I think a, a church operates much better when it's this weird kind of hospital where people on crutches are pushing people in wheelchairs, right? There, there's only one doctor in this church, and it's not me as your pastor, it's Jesus Christ. We're gonna walk this together. We're gonna point each other to Christ together. So what happens? So it means in small group, when somebody shares a deep hurt or deep sin, the room isn't just gonna go quiet. Heads aren't just gonna go down, and feet aren't just gonna shuffle. No, we're gonna be brave enough to step out and say, man, I wanna walk this out with you. I wanna come alongside with, with real hope and real help. I've been raised up. Ephesians 4 says the work of the pastors is to raise up the saints for the work of ministry. So my hope is that as small group leaders and small group participants, small group leading apprentices, that, that you can say, hey, I can walk this out. We can walk this together. 
And when it's beyond a small group leader to go, this is beyond me, but I, man, I, we have small group coaches and, and let's, let's bring them and let's walk this out together. When it's beyond the coach level, hey, we got pastors that'll step in, but listen, all along we're walking this out in community. When there's this kind of love, man, where people are connected that deeply, where they care for each other that deeply, where there's this radical love, radical generosity, it's supernatural. Why? It's the church in action. We're called to walk with each other, to be devoted to each other. That's the church. Now, I want to be the kind of church when, when somebody steps into a small group and they're, they're so cared for, like over-the-top cared for, the response can be, this is what we do. When somebody shares deep hurt and, and they don't hide stuff and they're like, look and go, man, you share some deep stuff. Well, this is just what we do. Listen, this can't happen if, if this is all we do. If, if, if Sunday is it, if this is all we have, you can't be a spectator and expect it to happen. You have to touch other people with your life. Listen, it's why we're fired up about small groups. Why I would say to this, hey, what's the response to this? If you're not in a small group, man, I'd stop by the information table and say, get me into a small group. No waiting lists, we'll get you in. If, if you're like, yeah, but I tried small group and it didn't work, try it again. Don't give up. Yeah, but I, I've been hurt before, then step in again and let, let God heal that hurt. But I would say this, if you're not involved, get involved. Let's walk this out together. If you are in a small group, keep pursuing this. You're like, hey, my small group doesn't always do it this way. Then let's press in and do it more like this. If it is, then celebrate it as a small group. I would say get connected. We've been talking about church membership a lot, and I'll agree with you. There's somebody in here who goes, man, I don't think church membership. I mean, can you find me a verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt be a member of a church? No, I can't find that. But it's implied as the church is called the body of Christ, as the church is called the family of God, that we would have this level of commitment where we would put our name on the line and say this, man, I'm here. That while I'm here, unless God calls me out of this community, these are my people and I'm committed here. That's what church membership is. I'm not standing here saying, man, you have to go to church every Sunday. I mean, I could pull out Hebrews 10, 25 that says, you know, don't forsake assembly of believers. Don't, don't stop meeting together. Here in Acts, no one had to tell them that. They were so changed by Jesus, they couldn't help but be devoted to each other. And listen, we can't get the job done if we're not committed to each other. We can't do this with people as spectators. There's too much hanging in the balance. Eternity hangs in the balance. Joy hangs in the balance. Abundant life is at stake. The name of Jesus is at stake as people watch in and say, hey, is Jesus really real in your community. We can't just sit back. We can't live our lives isolated. We want to live out the call of Jesus to, to be together. I'm telling you, John Calvin said this, the, the greatest problem in the church is not our wickedness, it's our laziness. I think so often, I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I want to give a night up for this. Listen, let's step into the hard work of devoting ourselves to each other, that, that you would sign up, you would be committed, you would give yourself, you would grow yourself. As the worship team comes up this morning, listen, it's no accident. You see verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. I mean, there, there was favor as people looked in on this. Why? Because they saw Jesus. 
If we want to see the book of Acts here, we want to see this in our own church, in our own community. Let's be an uncommon community here. Let's devote ourselves to each other. I mean, let's not rest in this. Let's, Let's pursue this. Let's be the church. Let's be devoted to Christ with our whole life, and let's be devoted to each other in radical love. Would you stand with me as I pray? Lord Jesus, when we, when we see you, when we see the gospel, everything changes. So Lord Jesus, I, I don't pray that you would make us have, have better relationships, that you, would, that you would make us find, that you would help us find a way to do small groups in a, in a unique way or to find us do it in, in a more efficient way. But Lord Jesus, this morning I pray this, that each one of us would see you, would see the gospel clearly. And by seeing you, everything else will fade. No longer will we cling to our time and to our stuff, but our hands will be opened up because we already have the greatest treasure. We have you, Lord Jesus. Because because we we don't have to worry about about anything else because our eternity is secured. So now, instead of being people who need to grasp, we now can be people who can give, can give our time, can give our effort, can give our love to each other so that together we can point each other to the hope we have in you, Lord Jesus. I can't do this alone. I need the brothers and sisters that are here together with me, Lord God. I pray that you would continue to grow this in our midst. Grow us to have this uncommon community together. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.